Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. I received an email in the last week. It's quite a long email, but it's one I'd like to share with you. And the question I'd like you to set yourself when listening to what I have to say is this. Is this reasonable? So the email was from a company that is looking for photographers and it claims to have lots of work for photographers. Now, I'm not totally sure exactly what this work is, but I'm second guessing that it's probably events based. Anyway, this is how the email starts and how it goes on. As I say, it's quite long, but do please stick with me on this. The rates of pay we offer are dependent upon the equipment photographers are able to provide. Newly qualified photographers who might not have extensive equipment are offered additional support with the option of purchasing the minimum equipment required in instalments at preferential rates. They say that we offer competitive rates of pay, mileage, hotels paid for as necessary, food allowance if staying overnight, help purchasing equipment, lots of work opportunities in July, November and December, together with the possibility of other jobs throughout the year. We will provide studio backdrops, additional lights, laptop, a a tie and a scarf, a training. We want confident, friendly photographers. To get our maximum day rate, you will need a white shirt, grey trousers or skirt, two times Canon or Nikon DSLRs with a minimum 18 MP sensor, a 24 to 70 millimetre f2.8 lens or similar, 24 to 105 millimetre f4, for example, plus backup could be a 50 mil f1.8 or any portrait lens. Two times high quality 500 watt studio flash heads with spill kits, suitable trigger and at least three receivers. 3.5 millimeter, one and a quarter inch adapter by three. Two light stands, two meters. Two times 42 inch aprox white reflected brollies with black backing. Two times smaller brollies for low ceilings. Sturdy tripod with ideally a grip head, ideally a second tripod as a backup two posing stools or tubs in black. Now, as I said at the beginning, is that reasonable? That's a huge amount of equipment. That's a huge expectation. And it concerns me that they're willing to offer instalment preferential rates for kit. Is that reasonable? A few episodes ago, I spoke about a book, Stephen Shaw, Modern Instances, The Craft of Photography, a memoir, a long title, but a really good book that I really do recommend. It's full of little short snippets, really, little thoughts. And I I always enjoy that because it gives you a chance to kind of dip in and out. But anyway, I've now finished reading the book. It's not a long read, although it does make you stop and think at a number of points. But anyway, on page 173, it's a very short little contribution. And uh, it says this. 1976. In 1976, Ginger Seipel came to my loft to interview me for a portfolio to be published in Time Life's photography year 1977, for which she was the photo editor. Within a year, we were living together. We married in 1980. 
And they're still married today. It's a wonderfully lovely story. But it instantly made me think, well, that might be a book worth checking out. So I went on to eBay and for £2, I was able to secure the photography year 1977, actually stroke 78 edition of the wonderful Time Life books. And if anybody is a photographer who grew up with analogue through the 1970s and 80s, you will know how important those wonderful silver bound, black-spined Time Life books were. I have it in my hand here. So I managed to purchase the book, and those Stephen Shaw photographs are in there, alongside a whole load of other great work. And it really made me think about the passing of time and photography. Some of the photographers in the book, photographers, I should say, in the book, are recognised today as masters, as, as, as great exponents of the medium. Robert Adams and Stephen Shaw, for example, have a number of pages in this book. But alongside those and some really wonderful historical photography are a whole load of photographers who we don't know of anymore. And it made me wonder why. What is it that made those photographers stand out, such as uh, Shaw and Adams? And why did the others get forgotten, even though their work was in such a prestigious title? Maybe it's luck. Maybe it's marketing. Maybe it's personality. Who knows? But what I do know is that it's really worthwhile going back into books of the past and finding those forgotten photographers. There's real gold in them there hills. This week, I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast photographer Don Wilson Odie Hambo, who's an award-winning Kenyan documentary photojournalist, videographer, and a mental health activist, born and raised in Nairobi, Kenya, and who grew up in Kibera, one of the largest slums in Africa. He documents the social, cultural, political and economic activities of day-to-day life on the African continent as a response to issues including illegal drugs, crime, early marriages and teenage pregnancies in his area. He's established TAMI, T-A-M-I, Talking Art and Mental Illness, a project that is open to all in which he invites experts, including psychiatrists, to share advice and essentials such as sanitary towels, condoms and food packages with those who attend and need them most. Don Wilson's a young photographer, but I think he's someone well worth hearing from. Hello, everyone. My name is Don Wilson Odiambo. I'm a documentary photographer based in Nairobi and uh, born, in, born and raised in Kibera slums. I began my career in my home where I felt like my home was like a city, you know. It was like a home full of everything, uh, be it politics, be it education, be it business, and everything that I needed as a photographer was within my home. But um, since I needed to, like, uh, broaden my career that much, I started walking outside my home to do different stories of people, uh, everyday life around Africa, and uh, just anything that I could come across that is new, you know. Personally, photography has made me go places, I say. It is what has built me, like, know who I am, uh, run away from mental illness, you know. When I go out there with my camera, it's like I'm escaping to another world. I'm escaping to another world. I'm running to a world of freedom, a world where 
uh, everything's art, you know, like a world where I'm more I'm able to connect with the everything like movements art and streets and buildings and everything that just makes life fantastic in front of a camera you know um this is uh photography is like um uh like it has changed my environment totally you know and uh, i can say that uh, over the last five years I've really tried and tried as hard as I could to make sure that my my game was different, my view was different, and everything that I was coming back with was different. The moment I step out of the street, I want to be like someone else, or I want to do an art more better that was done with someone else. I want to bring something more better from what I saw in books, what I saw on social media, and what I see in uh, front of me. Like, I just want to come up with something different. So that's what photo- photography means to me. On the other side, it has been my way of paying my bills and stuff. So I'm able to pay to sell my prints. I'm able to sell my pieces and um, make money and uh, pay my bills. And uh, this also through selling these pieces is when I'm able to travel out to go to different places and exp- and get some more experience as a as a young photographer. My age is I'm uh, my, I'm uh, 26 years old, you know, and I believe that in the next before I reach 30, my target is to be able to set wonders, like to be able to hit limits that I've never hit before as a photographer. Make great images, make sure that I use my photography to teach and educate people mentally, because most people around my society are going through a lot of mental illness. And through involving uh, them in uh, different arts and everything is when I'm able to... I challenge myself mentally and be able to challenge them mentally, you know, because through art we can challenge our mental illness. Also through photography, I managed to come up with my own my personal program called Tami. Tami definitely means uh, talking art and mental illness. This is a program to help people venture more into mental illness, to bring people together, artists and everyone around the community as a photographer, to help them. Uh, get uh, special experts like psychiatrists mentally, you know, like who can who will be able to advise them mentally and such kind of stuff. So I'm trying to use my photography to change the society that I came from, and also to change my own uh, view in front of the streets. Like what people see in the streets, I try to make it more different and catchy. You know, I mean, uh, when I go outside the streets, I really want to make a difference as a photographer. So that's all that uh, photography means to me. And I wish I could say more. Thank you, Don Wilson, for your contribution this week. I think really important at this stage to stress the benefits that photography can bring people who are having that kind of mental well-being problem, those issues. I know at the same time, photography can bring those on, but at the same time, it can also resolve them. So there's a real push and pull there. And great to hear him doing that kind of work there out in Nigeria. And interestingly enough, I spoke to another young photographer recently, also based in Nigeria, who is looking to actually come and study uh, with me at uh, Oxford Brookes University on the photography course that I uh, lead. And 
his feelings were exactly the same, that he wanted to come and study photography to actually then go back to Nigeria and do good. And it's really interesting for me, and I hope for you also, to see that people are seeing the medium in that way, not just as a form of income, as a finance, to sell NFTs, to sell prints, to make money, to get fame, but to actually do good for their community and to give back. Two people in photography who I definitely think give back in the UK are Craig Aitkinson at Cafe Royal Books. And if you're not aware of Craig and Cafe Royal Books, check them out immediately. The work he does is incredibly important, I believe, in ensuring that work that ordinarily doesn't get seen does get seen and gets published. Sort of tying back there to what we were talking about at the beginning of this episode about the uh, those photography years books, those time life books. Anyway, uh, he's just uh, released a book, two books actually, of another friend of ours, uh, Jim Mortram, Small Town Inertia Diary Entries, books one and two. They're only £6.50 each. And I'm sure that by the time you listen to this, they've already probably will have sold out. But it made me think of the passing of time. And it was actually myself who introduced Jim Mortram to Craig and I couldn't believe it was so long ago. The original books of the small town inertia, which also sold out incredibly quickly and have become very collectible, were actually published in 2013. Uh, Craig reliably informs me that it was December the 9th. I remember that and I bought those books, but he also remembered that it had been the previous April to that that I'd introduced uh, Craig to Jim's work and when we'd met at an arts book fair down in Bristol. So one reason I'm telling you this is because it's so important those connections are made. And also, I think that we promote the work of others. And if we feel that it's a benefit to the photographer and the publisher to put those two people together, that's something we should do. That's a real sense of community. And I think both Craig and Jim have that sense of community and that understanding of community one-man bands doing an awful lot of good work. That's got to be something that we promote. Whilst we're talking about Craig Aitkinson and Café Raw Books, I should also mention that the first exhibition of that work will be occurring at the Martin Parr Foundation in Bristol uh, between April the 14th and June the 12th. Café Royal Books, Documentary, Zines and Subversion is the name of that exhibition. It sounds to me, from talking to Craig, it's going to be very interesting the way in which he puts it together. And I have to admit, I'm rather uh, proud and honoured to have some of my work included, included, I should say, in that exhibition also. So if you find yourself down in the southwest of England, make sure you check that out. As always, it's free to enter. 
If you're a fan of this podcast, and definitely if you subscribe via any platform by which you get your podcasts, you'll be aware that we've begun a new series in search of Bill J. I've run a couple of little adverts for it on previous episodes of this podcast. Well, episode two is now live and it is either sitting in your subscription box or is available for you at unitednationsofphotography.com. It's a series in which I kind of talk about the process of making the documentary film around Bill J, photographer, writer and advocate of photography, a curator, a magazine and picture editor, a lecturer, a public speaker, a mentor and many, many other things. So we made a film, Do Not Bend, the photographic life of Bill J back in 2018. That was first screened. But this podcast series includes lots of material that we couldn't put into the film and also lots of material I've since discovered since we completed the film um, that I found out about, which I think you might find interesting. Anyway, episode two is now available for you to um, check out. That's called uh, A Grammar School Boy, Holland Park Parties and Tony Ray Jones. Um, some amazing uh, information that I found out about him which I don't think is widely known. Anyway, so um, in this second episode, I continue my search for Bill J. And I hear from photographers Homer Sykes and Martin Parr as I track uh, Jay's career from school to magazines and then the influence of David Hearn and Tony Ray Jones on Jay and his editorship of Creative Camera Magazine. So if you uh, are a fan of Jay's or if you're a fan of documentary photography, uh, over the last four 40-odd years, really. I, I highly recommend it. Sometimes the audio might be a little bit scratchy, but um, it's not about the quality. It's always about the quantity of the quality of the information, if that makes any kind of sense. Anyway, so that's available for you now. Uh, I hope everything's working out for you. Um, we're coming out of COVID in a very strange way in that everybody I know seems to have COVID, and yet we're constantly being told that it's over. Um, I'm quite excited because I've managed to get my hands on a, a very nice little Leica camera, which um, I'm really enjoying using. Finally, I found a small camera that actually kind of works for me. So that's been a, a bit of a joy over the last couple of weeks. And also, I suppose the, the weather's getting a little bit warmer. It's still chilly in the shed, but Overall, hopefully there are shoots of recovery. Of course, a big problem is that the economy is really hitting us all hard. Um, I know magazines are having problems getting paper, as I've discussed previously, and that's going to hit editorial photographers. But we've got to try and keep as positive as possible. I suppose in a way... Try and just get out and just make images and just have fun. It's the one thing I say to most people when they talk to me about photography is it's really important to have fun. If you're not having fun, then just don't do it. And of course, the other thing, which is always really important, it's something I stress every week, is just to take care. <laughs> 